Hey everyone, it's Marvin. Um, as you may have heard if you follow us on social media, Books and Boba launched our first merch line a month ago, selling our first ever run of Books and Boba apparel and tote bags. Thank you everyone who purchased during our campaign period. We appreciate your help supporting our podcast. But then um, due to, let me check my notes, um, human error, um, my error, we accidentally extended our order period for uh, our first run of Books and Boba merch. So lucky for you, if you missed your chance to buy a Books and Boba t-shirt, sweatshirt, or tote bag, um, now's your chance. You have until Friday, November the 5th to purchase any Books and Boba t-shirts and sweatshirts, and next Friday to purchase a Books and Boba tote bag. Um, don't ask me why the dates are different. Like I said, it was a goof on my part. So um, embarrassing for me, but fortunate for you. So if you're interested in getting yourself some Books and Boba merch and supporting our podcast, um, you can check out our bonfire store by going to booksandboba.com and checking out the store link. All right, with that, let's get to the show. You're listening to... And welcome to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here today to discuss our October 2021 book club pick, The Inugami Curse by Seishi Yokomizo, translated by Yumiko Yamakaze. And what a book to um, celebrate Spooky Month 2021. There's nothing like a good murder mystery with some extra grisly murders. I have to say, this is probably the oldest work that we've read for this book club. Is it? Because this book came out in 1950. It's true. I think so the next think oldest it, is probably Woman Warrior. Yeah, Woman Warrior. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it is a classic. And we've read a bunch of cozy mysteries. We've read some noir mysteries. But we haven't had a good, like, classic detective mystery. I don't think ever. Right? I wouldn't say, like, ever. Because, uh, like, I feel like Keigo Higashino is kind of... Oh, that's of, true. That's Kind true. of like an offshoot of that genre. So, um... For those of you who are unfamiliar with Seishi Yokomizo, he is uh, known as the Japanese John Dickinson Carr. He is like the forefather of uh, like the classic Japanese detective mystery. Uh, that genre is called honkaku, which is which literally translates to orthodox. So it's an orthodox detective mystery where logic and deduc- deduction is kind of like the crux of the plot. Um, you might know it as fair play mystery in like the Western world. So like uh, like Agatha Christie novels and Sherlock Holmes, like you'll see a lot of like deduction being made. Um, so that's kind of the genre that he uh, kind of established himself in in Japan. Um, he is the creator of the uh, Kosuke Kendaichi uh, detective character uh you probably are familiar with kosuke kendaichi if you've watched anime there there's always like some kind of parody of him uh in a lot of like uh crime animes and mangas um and uh seishi yokomizo lived from 1902 to 1981 so he has written a lot of books in his lifetime 
Um, he wrote 77 novels, starting with The Honjin Murders, and Inugami Clan is his sixth novel, I believe. So, um, unfortunately, those two are the only books that were translated into English. I, I'm a little bit upset because <laughs> I feel like, I mean, he wrote 77 novels. Like, how many Agatha Christie novels exist in the world, right? In, like, major distribution. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But also, the um, it looks like Penguin Random House, I think this is through their Pushkin... Press? Yeah, it's through Pushkin Press. Press? Uh, Pushkin Vertigo Press. Imprints? Yeah. It looks like they are translating several of his books. Um, also available is um, The Village of Eight Graves and coming up, Gokuman Island. Yeah, so. that's coming out like next <laughs> month, I think, one of them. Yeah, like, so uh, now there's four translated works of his 77. Yes, yes. The Honjin Mystery, uh, The Honjin Murders, and The Inigami Curse, they were recently re-released uh, in 2020 by Pushkin Vertigo. I did not know about this. I literally picked this book because I was like, oh, what's one spooky? <laughs> One's like, <laughs> like, what is one really spooky and like grotesque book I've read that is not manga? from like my repertoire of books and I was like okay Inugami clan and just so happens that it got reprinted in 2020 and I was like oh look perfect timing perfect timing you did it I did it Ooh. <laughs> I all sensed right. it in my in my bones all right so we're gonna be discussing the entirety of the Inugami curse um, on this episode which means we'll be spoiling all the twists and turns and since this is a mystery um, we do recommend you not listen to us until after if you finish reading the book. Although we can't stop you. So if you want to do whatever you want, you know, you do you. But um, for maximum enjoyment, we do recommend you read the book first. It's a pretty breezy read. Um, you can probably finish it in a few hours. Um, you say it's a breezy read, but a lot happens within <laughs> like the 300 pages that... Uh, the book seems pretty short, but a lot happens, you guys. <laughs> like it is, it is jam packed with plot points, and you can easily get lost. So I recommend like not reading it all in one sitting. <laughs> like take your time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like let me uh, read the book jacket description, and then we can break it down. All right, let's do it. We've done our spoiler warning, so from this moment forward, spoiler safeties are off. All right. In 1940s Japan, the wealthy head of the Inugami clan dies, and his family eagerly awaits the reading of the will. But no sooner are its strange details revealed than a series of bizarre, gruesome murders begin. Detective Kendaichi must unravel the clan's terrible secrets of forbidden liaisons, monstrous cruelty, and hidden identities to find the murderer, and lift the curse wreaking its bloody revenge on the Inugamis. Dun-dun-dun! <laughs> Yeah, so like I mentioned, this is a classic detective mystery, which means you have, you know, your detective coming to town, being brought to town to solve a, well, at first not to solve a murder, but ends up being looped into a murder case. Things happen, and at the end, there's this whole huge confession scene, right? So like the bones of that murder mystery is in this book. But it was really interesting to see this happen in like a Japanese post-war context. I personally do not have a strong history with the detective novel. I'm much more familiar with, you know, the cozy mysteries that we usually read and like noir mysteries. So I, I, mean, this I is actually, kind of noir-ish. Kind of, say. yeah. But I'm just saying, I'm not, um, I was talking to Reaver before we started recording, but I don't think I've ever read a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Sherlock. I've watched 
and read adaptations, but not the actual thing. And I'm pretty sure I've never read Agatha Christie. So everything I know about this genre is honestly through osmosis. So it's funny how Inugami Clan takes place post-war in Japan, because uh, during World War II, Japan censored a lot of literary works that they deemed to be too grotesque, erotic, immoral, and kind of celebrated Western style uh, of writing. So Yokomiza was very much impacted by uh, Western mystery novelists like uh, Agatha Christie and Sir Conan Arthur Doyle and uh, John Dickinson Carr, who is known for his locked room mysteries. So it makes sense that he didn't start writing detective novels until like right after World War II. And you see that in a lot of his novels, apparently, like uh, the recurring themes of of like having a soldier come coming back after war, repatriating themselves and uh, deception because everybody can change their identity after uh, coming from war. So um definitely like a recurring theme in his work um and also a lot of other japanese crime novelists because at this time they haven't really found like their own style yet so a lot of it is very comparable to western mystery novels yeah and i think you know what sets this apart from those classic mysteries like the the core mystery in this book isn't really like a an elaborate murder plot it is like a crime of passion right and like you mentioned maybe alliances more with a noir story as well because it's not about like the devious mastermind it's about like people acting on their impulses that's at the core of this and those impulses are also the impulses of like for lack of a better word shitty shitty rich people right yeah yeah shitty rich a lot of our readers on goodreads mention that they got strong knives out vibes from this story and i mean the setup is almost it's not identical but it's very similar right well it's a trope (laughs) it's a trope in mystery novels right you have a rich family and all of the members are fighting to get the entire fortune and estate. And uh, in order to secure that, they kill other people. You know, it's kind of like a weird battle royale situation, only it's it's real and you're fighting your family members. Yeah. I guess to start off, let's talk about the the core of this story, which is the detective, right? The core of any detective story is the the main detective who all have, you know, like their own styles of investigation, right? You have like, you know, your Sherlock Holmes is all about deductions. You have your like, I, I have no idea what Poirot does. Poirot is also all uh, deduction. Okay. So they're mostly yeah. about deduction. It, and it seems like Kindaichi is all about observation. He's like, you can see him as like the living embodiment of like that Sherlock Holmes quote, right? Like once you have eliminated all, which is impossible, whatever remains, however improbable must be the truth, right? Because I feel like, um, Kindaichi's investigation style is kind of just let's just throw everything out there and like walk through every possibility. Yeah, Kindaichi is very different, I would say, <laughs> from a lot of detectives that we've come across in Western media and even like other Asian media. He's very eccentric. And I was actually pretty surprised that in this book, he's not like he's not the central figure. Like he's he's almost seems to be along for the ride you know like every scene that he's in it's with uh chief tachibana or the lawyer furudate 
And it's just like, yeah, I guess I'll figure out who's murdering people because I'm I'm here, I guess. <laughs> so I it mean, is very much like you're kind of along for the ride. And it was also surprising because the investigation takes months. It's not even like, yeah. like, like within a couple days, like lightning round. It's like, no, he stays in Nasu for he's like just two ch- months at the minimum. <laughs> he's just chilling at the inn, waiting for the next break in the case, I guess. Um, yeah, what does he do for money? I guess, is he being Yeah, that was like another thing. Yeah. <laughs> Who is being retained by, right? Is is the lawyer paying him? Yeah, maybe, maybe the lawyer has him on retainer or... I mean, the family doesn't seem like they want him to be there. I don't know. It's, um, it's just kind of like, why are you here? <laughs> and he's definitely not like one of those gentleman detectives, right? He's not like... He's, he's like the opposite yeah. of a gentleman detective. I was so... I don't know what your your mind, you know, mind casting for him was, but to me, he seemed like... I don't know why I was picturing maybe it's because of all the Cowboy Bebop stuff that's been coming up because of the upcoming Netflix adaptation. But I was picturing like Spike Spiegel in a trench coat. In a trench coat? No, well, man. I like mean, he's I, like I he super Japanese. Stuff, but like he's like, wearing like kimonos, like like a kimono top and a hakata pants. And like all of his clothes are wrinkled. He's wearing like a battered bowler hat and like he's just not put together at all and he scratches his head when whenever he's excited and i'm like dude dandruff that's that's yeah. real gross or so like he's not like the gentleman detective that we know he's like kind of like a it's he's kind of someone where we would try to avoid talking to because <laughs> you might think that he's a homeless person or someone of like very i guess like low class he's a colombo like very... pretty much right he's like a colombo I, I mean colombo is way out of like my <laughs> realm of pop culture knowledge but let's just say yes i mean that was colombo's whole thing is he's unassuming and then like kind of catches you in the lie at the last minute but he has like messy hair he wears like a, a beat-up trench coat he's very very unassuming that's his whole whole thing and i think in my mind he's like colombo like Spike Spiegel, if he's Columbo, is, is how I picture him in, in my head. I don't know. Shall we go through the plot points? Because there's a lot that happens. And I feel like just starting out of nowhere is going to take some time. So I <laughs> yeah, think no, that's we what, should start uh, yeah. from the beginning well, and start untangling some of, uh, some of the themes and whatnot. So the book opens up with Sahe Inugami, uh, the head of the Inugami clan and the so-called Silk King of Japan. He's on his deathbed, and his three daughters and and their family. They're just like waiting around for him to reveal who the heir is. They're like, "Come on, Dad! Like, who are you going to give your entire fortune to? Like, it's gonna it's gonna be my son, right?" But uh, it turns out that he has this complicated will. And it cannot be read until Kyo, the eldest grandson, returns home from war. And if he does not return within, uh, I think it was like three months or or a year, I don't remember. But there was like a time stipulation for the will to be read. So I think it was a year. That, it was like a year. Okay, but like they have to wait a year, and they have to wait a year or until Kyo comes back home so that they can open up the will. So that is the beginning of the book. And we are introduced to Kendaichi because he is there to meet Wakabayashi, who is a lawyer at a firm that serves the Inugami clan uh, family members. 
And uh, before Wakabayashi can tell Kendaichi about why he wants him on the job, uh, Kendaichi witnesses Tamayo almost drowning in the lake. Uh, and we find out later that uh, it, it has been one of the multiple ap- attempts on her life because she is the granddaughter of Sahe Inugami's um, benefactor. So a lot of like tangled ties here. Um, but pretty much, uh, pretty much after Wakabayashi's death, uh, Kendaichi meets the head of the law firm that's handling the Inugami clan affairs. And he finds out that there's going to be a will reading because Kyo has returned from war uh, in Burma. And Furudate is like, yo, this. This will is it's pretty sketch. Like, um, he he kind of senses that bad things are gonna happen. And he's like, Well, Kendachi, like you're you're like a pretty well-known detective. Like, why don't you come with me? Because I have a really bad <laughs> feeling about this. Like, this family is not normal, like they all hate each other, and this will is probably gonna rip them apart. So they go to the will reading. Now, the will reading. Uh, dictates that Tamayo has to marry one of Sahe's three grandsons. So there's Kyo, uh, Take, and Tamo. And she has to marry them within three months of the reading. And if she refuses to marry or dies before the three months are up, she forfeits the fortune, and most of the fortune goes to Shizuma Aonuma, who is Sahe's illegitimate son, and we don't really know anything about him. So it's kind of like, who is this person that that's going to get like most of the money? Like, why isn't he giving his money to his three daughters or like splitting the fortune equally among the grandsons? It doesn't really make sense. But obviously, the family is not happy. <laughs> yeah, he kind of turns it into, um, at this point, rich people bachelorette. Right? Rich people bachelor. <laughs> Where it's like, who who will she pick? But then the, the only issue is two of these men are trash men and the other is like a injured war veteran who, I mean, in the long run, probably not a big deal. But, you know, the book makes it makes him sound so grotesque and very, very body shamey of his like war injury. This book very much focuses on the character's appearance, which no. was kind of yeah. like. A, Did you know a- that Tamayo is very, very attractive? Yes. Did she know that, that she, she is she's, the most beautiful she, woman in the entire world? And she has like a sphinx-like coolness to to her and elegance about her that makes her even more beautiful. Uh, yeah, like yeah, because um, we totally weren't reminded of this every other paragraph in this book. And same thing with like the uh, the three daughters, Matsuko, uh, Takeko, and Umeko. Uh, we're constantly told <laughs> like, oh, they're not that pretty, and it's like. Okay, like, is that really important? And also, why do you have to make the quote-unquote ugly characters evil? Like, I don't understand. Also, the worst is Sayoko, one of the other granddaughters who, like, has no dog in this fight, really. Um, Besides being, like, you know, the person... I mean, she doesn't really get fridged, but she gets worked in this book. But her whole characterization is... She's pretty, but compared to Tamayo, she's kind of ugly. No, it's like, oh, she's not good enough. And if (laughs) Tamayo didn't exist, like, maybe people would be interested in her. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) right. Male gaze uh, pros, like, I guess women are only valued for their looks. And of course, like, some of the age gap 
nonsense has just like made me cringe here and there but i'm like remember that this was written in 1950 like it was a different time still gross but whatever it's still incest if it's cousins right or like oh yeah it's 100 (laughs) percent still incest if if it's cousins but of course it's like it was a different time you know like more also i mean that's how nobles did it back in the day, right? To like keep their their bloodlines or whatever. I mean the the current queen of England is like what second cousins with her husband, it's true. Prince Philip. <laughs> they shared the same great grandmother. Their great grandmother was Queen Victoria. So yes, like wasn't FDR the same? I don't know. Like really, can we stop talking about incest? It's really <laughs> like. um but yeah i anyway but this will is like really bizarre and you're just like as a reader you're just like why would why would you do this to your children this will end in murder and it does so um yeah it's like props to wakabayashi and furudate like having their lawyer senses being like this is this is kind of bad news i mean this is like pretty good motive to kill people yeah and so, um, as the story goes on, the three bachelors start dropping dead one after another, um, usually after they try to sexually assault Tomoyo. Ah, uh, love it. <laughs> and then Kinaichi, who originally stayed around to um, solve the mystery of Wakabayashi's death, stays on to solve all these other murders. Because I guess, you know, at this point, this is like the third or fourth book of the series, right? This is the sixth book. The sixth book. Okay. Because... Um, and I don't know. So, like, I, as, as I mentioned, I'm not a, I'm not familiar with the genre, but the way that the narration of the story goes, the omniscient narrator constantly refers back to past cases. I think that's a really fun narrative device, you know, because, because like when he goes to save Tamoyo in the lake, you find out like, oh, if he had just stayed put. He would have been able to talk to Wakabayashi and this case would have been solved like months ago. Yeah. And there'll be like moments like that where it's just like, oh, if only they made this decision, no one would have died. Or is that a thing for these novels? Earlier. Is that a common like not every single style? novel, but yeah. like definitely with like the omniscient narrator, we've seen um like with Edogawa Rampo, he is known to be uh, a little bit rhetorical in his questions. And you know, like back then, a lot of these mystery novels were for like mass consumption. Like they came out serialized in in like magazines, so it's very pulpy, very melodramatic. So yeah, like <laughs> I would say that it is a pretty popular narrative tool. What did you think about the murders? I know you're you're connoisseur of murders in books. Okay, so like we're we're gonna just like fast forward because. A lot of a lot of shit happens. Um, but anyway, uh, the first victim, aside from Wakabayashi, is Take. Um, Take dies after uh, Tamoyo meets him discreetly to hand him a pocket watch because she managed to get Kyo's thumbprint. And, you know, everybody's like, well, Kyo has a mask on. Like, how do we know he's not an imposter? Like, why don't like why don't we get his fingerprints? And uh, Matsuko and Kyo are very adamant about not doing that. So um, Tamu slyly gets his thumbprint by handing him a meaningful pocket watch, and uh, she meets up with Take in the middle of the night, and uh, Take attempts to assault her. 
uh, before her bodyguard monkey stops him. And then the next time we see him, he we see his decapitated head found on one of the chrysanthemum dolls in the garden. Now, I had no idea what those dolls were because I'm like, this this is something that we don't really see in in our side of the world. So I Googled it and holy crap, it is so creepy. Like Google, Google chrysanthemum dolls. Yeah, Google it right now. It's so scary. Like, imagine having, like, an actual human head on one of those dolls. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, you think that it's made out of wax or whatever, and then, like, you look closely, and it's like, oh, no, that's a real person's head. That is very scary. That is grotesque (laughs) as fuck. So, the first murder... Well, not the first murder. The first murder is Wakabayashi, and he died because of a poison. The first Inugami murder. The first Inugami murder. (laughs) I was just like, holy crap, we just landed in a gothic murder mystery castle because this house is like also very labyrinthian and i was just like wow what was i doing as a high schooler (laughs) reading this yeah and then the second murder is a lot more i think conventional it wasn't as grotesque it's still it's still pretty like violent but it wasn't as bizarre as the first one i want to say i would say it because in the first murder, we're just like, why is the head decapitated head on the chrysanthemum doll? Like, is that supposed to symbolize anything? And then we find out the Inugami family motto, which is Yoki Koto Kiku, which means, which roughly means we hear good tidings. And it relates to the clan's heirlooms, the axe, zither, and chrysanthemum. So it's a hononym we, for those three, right? Yeah, it's a hononym for those. I don't know. It's English translated. <laughs> like, it's hard to gauge these types of things. Anyway, they're related. So when we find out about the motto, we're like, okay, chrysanthemum. That, we're, we're following a trend here. So when the second murder happens, you're just like, oh, shit. Like... There's going to be a third murder and it's going to have an axe. So like the second murder wasn't so grotesque, but it was kind of chilling to think about like, oh, this is purposeful, like that more people are going to die. So, but also Tomo had it coming. That guy was an ass. No, all of them are all all (laughs) of them are such garbage people. Um, Even Tamoyo, I was just like. It's like you're, but she's you're very not attractive, exactly a, so you know, you're not exactly a good person either. <laughs> yeah, because you know the second Inugami murdered person got got after attempting to rape Tamoyo by kidnapping yeah, her. So yeah, so Tamoyo was in the lake, and Tomo like comes up to her in a boat and was like, "Hey, like everybody's meeting up in the house. You need to come." And he chloroforms her, drags her body over to an abandoned house, and he's like, "Oh man." Like, she has a hot body. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna do disgusting things to her, and you're very, just like, okay. It's very. Um, I think I don't know. It's 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 it was a very like anime evil moment. I feel like in in the book. Like I said, it's very pulpy. Yeah, you know? it's like oh, beautiful damsel in distress, and yeah. um, we find out that there was. There's this mysterious repatriated soldier whose face has been covered by a mask and also a muffler that's been roaming around town. And uh, he's the one who calls the house saying, hey, Tomoyo is over here. 
pick her up, but make it discreet because it would yeah. be really embarrassing for yeah, her. Yeah, because he's in the house and he saves her from the rapist. And you know, at this point, um, I, I know you read this back in high school. Um, you're rereading this this time. But um, what did you think? Like, what were your theories forming about this time? Because at this point, I was suspecting that the masked uh, muffler guy was the illegitimate son. I had not pieced together that they might, they might have switched places yet at this point. Um, I'm trying to remember. Like, as soon as you are introduced to Kyo and he has gone through an accident and he's wearing a rubber mask immediately, like, before we're even introduced to Shizuma, like, through the will reading, I was like, oh, that's an imposter. There's, like, no <laughs> way. Like, like, I'm pretty sure the mom, like, just picked up, like... Mm like a soldier with a badly wounded face so she could get the money like yeah. this is this is the plot um so when like the uh mysterious soldier showed up i was like oh that's the real son okay and uh but but then at the same time like when when Kyo does the handprint and it turns out to be an identical match i was like wait what <laughs> yeah i was concerned like maybe they're working together you know they were like switching with each other which turned out to be what was happening but yeah it's a very well-constructed mystery because the the clue drip i guess was at a very good pace where you kept kind of recontextualizing everything you know like after the second murder is when you find out about the backstory of the the mistress and the illegitimate son and like what the three half-sisters like did to her which was also like horrible and horrifying at this time though you find out that sahe the uh, patriarch of the inugami clan was kind of an asshole because like the way he treated his family was just really uncalled for uh, so you yeah. find out very early on that uh sahe grew up as a pauper uh he pretty much ended up half starved on the footsteps of uh, Daini Nonomiya, who was the Shino priest of Nasu Shrine. Um, and he became like a mentor and a benefactor. And the village was like, oh, they're gay. Like, like, oh, Sahe like is, Sahe <laughs> is like super hot and Daini is like really into him. So there's like rumors of, of them having a gay relationship, especially because the wife disappears for a while. Um, but anyway, like after after the priest dies and he takes and, and he like uh, pretty much like adopts Tamoyo, who is like the priest's grand uh, granddaughter. Uh, he he never gets married. He has three mistresses at the same time in his labyrinthian house. And uh, he did that on purpose because he didn't want. And he, like he he didn't want to love anybody because he thought that if he had one mistress and spent time with her, he would end up actually liking them. So he's like, oh, if I have three mistresses all squabbling and plotting against each other, then I will never <laughs> fall in love with these the, these despicable women. And like, you know, like his three mistresses, each of them gives birth to a daughter. And the only reason why he keeps the daughter around is because. You know, they're like not animals that he can kill. That's literally one of the things that uh, the the daughters say. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, what kind of dad like does this to a baby that like? like I mean, yeah, everyone what? in the story is pretty like morally compromised, right? And you know, after the the big all the reveals, we find out the reason behind his like 
shunning of his mistresses. And it's pretty gross, too. Like, the only reason he had these three mistresses was because he had to nut. He and... had his manly urges that just had to be fulfilled. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, and I was just, I was like, what? Like, it's, dude. It's pretty, yeah. What, okay, so like one of our Goodreads uh, members, uh, Renko Suban, I think that's how I pronounce your username. If not, apologies. Uh, his daughter's name, Matsugo, Takeko, and Umeko, they are a common set in Japanese that is kind of a grading system. So um, Matsu means pine, Take means bamboo, and Ume means plum. And Matsu is considered the ultimate tier and then Take is considered the middle tier and Ume is like the lower tier and I'm like you named your children in in like in terms of tiers that's so (laughs) I don't know that that just like I was just like wow you're a despicable human being who don't even see children as yeah as people worthy of affection and love and just because they were born by women that you did not care for it's just (laughs) and he totally knows that they're all shitty people right especially after what they did to kikuno which was his his last mistress who gave birth to his illegitimate son and that's why he designed that will to be so convoluted it was like it was designed in a way to essentially protect the one person he wanted to protect i just i just want to say like kikuno was 18 and sahe was 55 and also he was her boss because she worked at the silk mill and i'm i'm just like this relationship does not seem to be on equal footing and it kind of sucks that kikuno gets tortured <laughs> and is pretty much living a horrible life because just because she got the attention of this rich guy yeah. who really does not care for his children. Anyway, Sahe is an asshole. And <laughs> like, I was just like, good for you. You're dead. But look at all the problems that you left <laughs> you, behind. You for left a real mess there, after. especially with that will, you know, that's like intricately designed to like fuck with your kids. Yeah, because fucking with his kids <laughs> wasn't enough in his lifetime. <laughs> But anyway, the yeah. the, sis- the sisters, uh, Matsuko, Takeko, and Umeko, uh, they pretty much torture Kikuno because she gets pregnant with Sahe's uh, baby. And they find out, like, they find out that Sahe had given her the family heirlooms, meaning that if she has a son, she can come back and say, hey, I own everything. I own your shit. Get out of my house. And they're like, and, and the three sisters are, are are just like, okay, that can't happen. So they hunt her down, uh, pretty much blackmail her by by threatening her baby's life, and they get a sig- they get a signature from her saying that sh- the baby is not Sahe's and she banged somebody else. So technically, yeah. illegitimate son. Yeah, not a good look for these shitty rich people. But I mean, the book goes out of its way to really make us not like anybody here. <laughs> um, I mean, the book loves Tomoyo, but <laughs> the book loves Tomoyo, but you find out that she's not as pure as as you think. Like she's like she's smart. 
Like, she's sly. Like, she gets information <laughs> that she wants in very underhanded ways. And she knows that she looks innocent with her beauty, and she uses that to her advantage. And I thought it was really interesting that Kendaichi was like, oh, like, she's making everyone think that she uh, just happened to give Kyo her watch to fix but in reality she did that on purpose to get his fingerprint like that was all part of her plan yeah and you know she's able to breeze past this through the police because she's pretty pretty <laughs> privileges yeah she's definitely doing her own investigation because she wants to know if the masked keel is actually keel and it all leads to the third murder which I didn't realize was what's depicted on the cover of the, on the cover Inagami yeah. Curse, um, which is like two legs sticking out of a frozen lake in like a V shape. Yeah, and I don't know if you caught the um, really, uh, really. It's not shitty. It's pretty. It's pretty good to be honest. Wordplay in that part where Kindaichi is like, it's less of a body, more of a daibo. Yeah, yeah, like. I mean, when you find out who the killer is and, and and like with the riddle, they're like, oh, shit, like, I don't know how, like, how do you make this work? I guess I'll do that. Like, it makes sense in that context. Mm. Uh, but I heard that the, the V-shaped legs um, sticking out from ice, that's kind of parodied a lot in in other like mystery genres in Japan. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, it's like considered pretty iconic. <laughs> Yeah, and then at this point is when um, Kindaichi starts putting it all together. Oh, no, no. What they do is they fish out, uh, quote-unquote, Kyo's body from the lake. And Tamoyo is like, hey, uh, while you're doing the autopsy, can you get another handprint? And everybody's like, why would we get another handprint? We know that this is Kyo. And she's like, it doesn't hurt. Like, it'll only take like a second. And they're like, okay, pretty lady. Like, we'll do whatever you say. Uh, so they do it, and they find out that uh, the Kyo that they found in the lake is not Kyo. And there's the question of, okay, if he's not Kyo, then who is the masked soldier <laughs> who's running around town? Yeah, and this is when um, the real Kyo comes back and you know, attempts to murder Tamoyo and runs away into the forest. And then they have, like, a... I imagine, similar to, like, that scene at the end of ramble first blood where you have a bunch of cops chasing this veteran into the woods excuse me but like kendaichi is on skis so it's a <laughs> it's a manhunt on skis which just seems so comical to me i would love to see that on film and this book was actually adapted twice uh it mm. was adapted once in 1976 and once in 2006 and they're both directed by the same director uh kon ichikawa uh, I like I'm a little bit I was just like why are you adapting the same material twice but I guess that's the thing that directors do but yeah I want to see how the manhunt on skis looked like I, it it just seems so cartoonish to me <laughs> yeah and that ends in his being captured and then now we have everything is set up for the whole like gather in a parlor room I'm gonna crack this case open scene uh, that is like you know iconic and all detective fiction. What did you think about how the case wrapped up? It was so complicated. So there's <laughs> there's a section in the book where um, 
Where Kondaichu's like, what the hell is going on? So he writes down a list. He writes down a timeline of like every single thing that has happened. And like as a reader, I was just like, dang, a lot of stuff happened. Like literally like almost every day something happened. I appreciated the um, middle of the book breakdown scene where it's like, let's take a moment and talk about what we've learned, right? Like this is like uh, probably similar to like the Mind Palace scenes of like the Sherlock BBC series where he kind of just like puts everything down on paper. And I'm sure if you're eagle-eyed enough, you can kind of start putting the pieces together in your own head. The thing is, like, it's one of those mysteries where you know, like, the key facts. Like, you know that Kyo and the mysterious soldier, they're two different people, and they switched eventually. And you pretty much know who the murderer is. Uh, and I'll just say it now because we did the spoiler warning. Uh, Matsuko is the murderer. And you pretty much know that from the get-go because you're like, who benefits the most from killing the other two sons, two grandsons? It's Matsuko. So you know who the murderer is. You know that uh, there are two people who are under the masks. But y- there are questions of what are they doing with with the motto with like the, the yeah. chrysanthemum axe zither motto. And also, <laughs> what is the deal with Shizuma? Like, why is this happening? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. What, what, what I love about the resolution of this mystery is it's not like the master plan of one person, but like more like a comedy of errors between two parties that are like operating independently. Yeah. They mentioned in the book that it's just like, oh, yeah, if these confluences of coincidences did not happen then the case would have been solved much earlier (laughs) and it's like yeah yeah because you know why are all the murder scenes like so we learned that matsuko murders tomo and take because she wants tomoyo to pick her fake son to marry so that the vast inugami fortune stays in her branch of the family and so we learned that her murders of take and tomo are pretty straightforward he's just like stabby stabby or choky choky but how do you explain the elaborate setup of that first murder with the with the you know chrysanthemum doll turns out her real son also returned home is under an assumed identity and has been cleaning up her murders kind of staging it as elaborate murders to throw people off the scent of his mother yes yes and then you have the question of who the hell is the third body, who who is the fake Kyo, and you find out that that is Shizuma, and um, Matsuko kills Shizuma because she finds out that he's not her son, and also like she suspects that because Shizuma's like, I'm not proposing to Tamoyo, and you know us as the readers with a lot of um, a, a lot of knowledge in the background, we're like, oh, he doesn't want to marry Tamoyo because Tamoyo is actually the blood-related granddaughter of Sahe and Daini's wife. Yeah. So his, so it would be incest, in as in like he would be marrying his niece. So he's like, mm, not about that life. <laughs> and Matsuko is just like, that's so weird. You guys were always into each other as kids, and now that the competition is wiped out, you're not going to marry her. Sounds like something that an imposter would do. I mean, I wonder if the real Kyo will also, because like, whether or not Shizuma and Kyo are uncle and niece, Kyo and Tamayo, still cousins, still related by blood. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when they were growing up, they didn't know that. I guess. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, we're back oh, in no. Let's let's let's, let's um not. let's let's not. It's a different time. <laughs> but yeah, I guess it's interesting because this is about the time when mystery writers start shifting from like stories about gentleman detectives and like puzzle box mysteries to like more noir, more hard-boiled type stories. And you can kind of see Kindaichi as straddling the two lanes. Yeah, yeah. Um because this story it has elements of both a detective puzzle mystery and like a noir type story where it's also about like the social issues of the time, right? Like the reason that this whole thing could happen is because of, like you mentioned, the repatriation of soldiers from World War II and the fact that it's easy to assume another identity if you think the other person is dead. Yeah, yeah. This book, I, a lot of stuff happens, a lot of red herrings, a lot of murders, and because you have two people who are acting independently from each other, I think it's really funny, by the way, that Matsuko's like, I don't care if I get caught as long as the competition is wiped out. <laughs> and is just like, no, mom, no. Like, I'm going to make this as brutal as possible so they don't assume that the killer is a woman. And I thought that was really interesting, too, Mm. because they're playing into stereotyping. But this book is more about this fucked up family (laughs) and their issues and how, you know, a lot of stuff could have been avoided if people were just decent human beings to each other and maybe not have affairs um, and also like Sahe not being a dick and yeah. showing favoritism to just just one person or two people. I mean, it's the combination of the people themselves being dicks and also society being the rigid conservative society that, you know, East Asian cultures can be, right? Like the reason why Sahe was cold to his mistress was because he was actually in love with his benefactor's wife, but he couldn't be with her because she was married to his benefactor and they didn't want, he didn't want to put them through because divorce was still taboo back then. There's a lot of shame involved. And because he wants to preserve their honor, he's willing to trample over all these other people because he still has, you know, manly needs. I like, what did you think about uh, Daini and Sahe's relationship? Like how they, like how they had like a homosexual relationship. I mean, I liked how in the book it wasn't like it wasn't stigmatized in the way that it was portrayed, but they did mention that it was unacceptable in society. Um, I don't know. I mean, Sahe obviously probably is bi, or I don't know. Maybe he was taken advantage of. We don't really get a lot of details on the, the nature of that relationship, but the relationship between Daini and his wife was also one of a huge like age gap. Yeah, it was like a huge age gap. Hario was. Like, almost the same age as Sahe. And the book mentions this. It says, like, that Daini was definitely gay. Like, he could not get it up for uh, for women. But he did have a little bit more of a sexual urge towards men. Uh, but he didn't really have a high sex drive like Sahe, who seemed to want to bang everything, <laughs> according to this novel. Um, but I just, I just thought it was... I don't know. It was so it was glossed over so easily. Yeah. That like I kind of like I, I don't know. It just kind of like took me aback. I was like, okay, why did you introduce this like tidbit? And then it's like, oh, actually, he had an affair with his wife, and they were all in on it. And it's like, <laughs> okay, that's like a that's yeah. like a pivot. <laughs> I wonder. I mean, like I mentioned, it was 
kind of cool to see that it was glossed over because it was just part of the setting. But yeah, I, now that you mentioned, I I don't know if the literary world was equipped to handle like a deep dive in those issues at this time. I don't know. I can't speak for the author or her intentions, but yeah, did we really need that for the story? I don't know. Probably not. I guess the author wanted to give Diney a reason to be okay with his, you know, former lover to be into his current wife. I don't know. Like just saying like, oh, Diney and Sahe, they had a thing going on and then it just kind of died off. And then Sahe and Hadio had their thing. I was like, okay, well, it. I just <laughs> feel like narratively that did not make sense. But I don't know. Like you said, it it's like you, you're glad that it was kind of glossed over because you didn't have to like go through trauma <laughs> and a lot of like homophobic um, insults, I guess, while you're reading reading the book. But it it was just kind of like left field. Yeah. And just so just so people know that like Japanese literature and culture, they've always had like gender fluid uh, characters. So it wouldn't have been so much of a surprise if they had <laughs> like a homosexual relationship in the front. But I don't know. Colonization does <laughs> has repercussions. And, yeah. 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 I mean. Did we need it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It same thing. Okay, same, like, like I, too, I like, have another thing where I'm like, was this needed? Uh, Kikuno, uh, <laughs> Kikuno Aonuma. I'm just like, was she needed? Did she have to come back as the disguise Koto teacher? I feel like we could have done without her. You need red herrings, and you know these stories. Everyone's related to everybody. I mean, the only reason why like she came back is to be like, I'm not the killer, by the way, and let me tell you about my son. And it's like. <laughs> I kind of wish that she wasn't there and they found out through a different way, but mm. okay. Um, well, they wanted uh, I guess to add she to the tragedy. Yeah, they wanted to add to the tragedy with that she was there with her son the entire time, but they couldn't talk to each other because of um, the double identity stuff, right? Yeah, the double identity stuff, and they both ended up uh, basically the not author living happy lives. Yeah, basically the author hates Kikuno, loves Tomoyo. It's it's very melodramatic. You know, there's always like one good character that gets all of the, I guess, fortunes. And then you have like the tragic figure I guess. of the other woman. I mean, I would argue Kikuno is probably the only truly good character in this entire cast of like suspects, right? Yeah, I, I would say she's like the most innocent person. <laughs> like she just got thrown into this family and it's like, God, you were only 18 years old. Yeah. Like, what did Sahe do to you? Because he, he definitely knew he had, what he was putting her through. <laughs> he had his urges, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, there were there were just like a lot of moments in this book where where I was just like, oh, is that really needed? And there was a lot of red herrings and a lot of going back and forth. I, mean, I, I guess that makes need like red the, herrings, but they help you know move the move the mystery along, right? Yeah, it really. It definitely helped with the pacing, so I don't mind it so much, but, you know, like, like so much information was being jammed into my brain, and I was like, how do I organize everything? <laughs> I um, mean, but isn't that, the, isn't that the charm of these stories? It's like the overly convoluted murder plot? Oh, yeah. I mean, that <laughs> is the charm, and I'm not complaining so much about, like, <laughs> like, I'm just saying that it was a lot. 
and it was I lot. needed a break. And that is why I recommend people to not read this all in one sitting because <laughs> um, you're you're just gonna be like, what happened? Uh, who's dead? Yeah, you're gonna who's be- <laughs> running away? Like, who's the masked man? Like, a lot of moving pieces. When I first opened the book, I saw like they have like a um, the cast of characters in the front, and it's like all these people in their relations to each other. It's like cousin of so and so, wife of so and so, husband of so and so, lawyer of so and so, illegitimate child of so and so. It's like to be honest, I was a little intimidated, which is why I, it took me so long to start reading the book. When um. When I read this in high school and I opened it up to like the the family tree and the list of characters, I was like, oh, so half of these people are going to die, right? Like, I don't have to memorize who's who because they're going to die pretty quickly. And I was right. They died (laughs) pretty quickly. It's kind of like Danganronpa. If you've ever played that (laughs) video game, you start off with like 16 characters and you're just like, there's no way I'm going to remember everybody. And surely enough. Like the first three, four people right. you meet and die, and who gets killed, you're just like, or who were they? I don't remember. Yeah, or like Bachelorette, who remembers all those people that get voted off right away? You know, I feel like that would be a good plot for for a book, <laughs> like legit contest where you have vying bachelors, and if they get eliminated, they eliminate for real. They die. <laughs> <laughs> Raise the stakes. Jeez. <laughs> all right um, any last thoughts about inigami curse um it was definitely a fun read super pulpy uh melodramatic it had like that old world charm uh that i really liked um kendaichi was an eccentric detective who is very different from the western gentlemanly old lady detectives uh that i've seen in older mystery novels One of my favorite manga series is actually Kendaichi Files, and the main character is actually like the grandson of Kosuke Kendaichi. Yeah, I saw that when I was Googling him because I was like, what other media has he been in? And I saw the anime series where it's like young Kosuke Kendaichi, but it takes place in modern times. So I was confused. But now that you mentioned it, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, he's the grandson of uh, Kosuke Kendaichi, like the original uh, Kendaichi. And Mm. Uh, don't watch the anime, read the manga. Um, <laughs> they do a very good job of like planting in hints because it's visual. So you could solve the case by like looking at your surroundings oh. uh, very closely. Um, unfortunately, they stopped translating the series after like six volumes. And that was that's a that's a real bummer. But yeah, I really want to watch the films, too. I want to see how they adapted it and how creepy everything just comes to life because it is very over the top in in the book so i'm like how does this translate into i want to see what that mask looks like oh google it right now looks so creepy (laughs) it's so creepy let me see it it's just literally like a white rubber mask oh yeah that's pretty creepy like imagine imagine you're at a will reading and there's someone just sitting in the corner with that mask. That is like that's terrifying. Yeah, that's creepy. <laughs> and it's not their skin, it's rubber, so like it doesn't move at all, which makes it even scarier. Yeah. No, I really enjoyed reading this book too. Um I had a lot of fun just trying to keep up with all the clues and you know keeping track of all the red herrings. And you know, it did what it needed to do. It was exactly as promised a murder mystery romp where you know you get led around by all the circumstances and at the end you have a big 
polarizing moment where you just reveal everything. Yeah, yeah. And people die in very dramatic ways. Yeah. It's like, yeah, in real life, that would never happen. It's like if the um, detective mystery got mixed with like a slasher film, right? Because all the deaths are so creative. Yeah, very visceral. (laughs) And the way Matsuko dies at the end, too. It's just like like smoking poison cigarettes. Goes out like like, a boss. Yeah, I was just like, wow, what a a way to die, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and with that, I think that'll do it for our discussion of our October 2021 book club pick, The Inugami Curse. If you have any thoughts about the book, about the mystery, about the resolution or anything, um, let us know on our Goodreads forums. We always love to hear um, your thoughts. So, yeah, I guess now we're into November. Um, We're in Turkey Month 2021. Rira, what are we reading for this month? We are reading On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong and... It is 246 pages, so it is a shorter read. No excuses, you guys. <laughs> you say shorter, but uh, from all accounts, I hear this is a very sad times book. It is pretty heavy, so I guess go in with, <laughs> go go and prepare. Yeah, but it's also a book that's won all the awards, so I'm excited to, to see what it's all about. Um, quick reminder, um, I did make a goof and accidentally opened a second run of our Books and Boba merchandise. So if you missed your chance to buy our Books and Boba apparel or tote bags, you still have a few weeks to go to booksandboba.com and check out our bonfire store to get yourself some official Books and Boba merch. Um, my shirt came in recently. Yeah, my sweatshirt came, and it was surprisingly very soft. Yeah, exciting. Like, oh, yay. <laughs> um, again, you can go to booksandboba.com, click on the store link to check out our offerings. Uh, but with that, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us talk about the Inugami curse. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Quincy Cho. And I'm Kay Khan Apu. And we host Marvel Makeup. It's a podcast where I teach Quincy a little about Marvel. And I teach Kay a little bit about makeup. Join us as we watch and talk about every movie and TV show in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I'm mostly watching for the first time. And join us as we apply makeup stuff to our faces, which I'm using for the first time. Marvel Makeup is part of the Potluck Podcast Collective, and you can find new episodes every other Monday wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can catch video versions of Marvel Makeup on our YouTube channel. So please rate, review, and subscribe. And please give us five stars so our Asian moms will understand why we buy so much electronic equipment. Because it's for this podcast, Marvel Makeup.